So on today's podcast, I have Josh Burbage, the newly appointed managing director of Archwood Group. Archwood Group consists of Richard Burbage, Atkinson and Kirby and Mason's Timber. He's a fifth generation Burbage to lead the family business, which across the brands manufactures and supplies stair parts, decking accessories, decorative mouldings and premium hardwood flooring. He's genuinely one of the nicest, most down-to-earth men in the industry, and it's a real pleasure to have him on the podcast today. Welcome, Josh. Thank you, Sarah. That's very, <laughs> very kind words. It is, isn't it? But you know what? Actually, um, I've never actually really thanked you properly. A few years ago, I made a phone call to you, which wasn't one of the nicest phone calls I've ever made to anybody um, when our business was, in, it was, was struggling financially. And I think out of every, every supplier that I had to make that phone call to, you were probably one of three that actually asked how I was. Uh, I think it's a very important, listen, there's a human element to any business yeah. and uh, being uh, large or small or medium sized, it's, it's critical to, to, to be kind and um, considerate to everyone, even through difficult times. Yeah. And I think it's a very important part of uh, business and and we pride ourselves. One of our values is doing business the right way, uh, and that that's something that I I, I try and extol from a uh, from the from the top down across our, our business. So, um, thank you. Well, I really appreciated it, and I've never said thank you. So, thank you very much. So, you were made MD of Archwood Group very recently. So, how does it feel to be a fifth generation lead of a family business? Uh, it's quite nerve wracking, if I'm honest, there's a, a reasonable amount of responsibility. Um, uh, I suppose, uh, for, from, from where I, I came from in terms of, it was never expected of me and, uh, it was never put, put on a plate. I know some people may th- think that, um, due to the name. Yeah. Um, my father is, uh, is very keen on me making my, my own way. And, uh, he, he expected me to work hard. To, to get to the position I'm in today. Uh, it took me 16 years of working in the business to get here. So I uh, had some uh, interesting twists and turns that I'm sure we'll explore <laughs> yep. throughout this podcast. Um, I, I, I enjoy it. I thoroughly enjoy it. I like the variety of uh, the, the role that uh, I uh, I have and I play. Um, one, one moment I might be talking about new IT systems, the next talking about supplier challenges with... Uh, freight coming in from the Far East, uh, and then uh, potentially uh, talking to the customers about the challenges we've got in terms of pricing and, and how we uh, balance that out and make sure it's fair across across uh, across both both parties. So, no, it's a it's a really uh, interesting and um, it's I'm 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 really enjoying the role. Uh, it's had its hairy moments already, if I'm being <laughs> honest. In terms of we went into lockdown in 2020 in a pretty precarious financial state as a business. Yeah. We've had to make some pretty tough decisions, um, but most of our customers and suppliers stuck by us during that period. And uh, it's an opportunity for me to say thank you if they're listening, uh, but also uh, to say that we've, we've, we have done what we said we would do from a business perspective in terms yeah. of stick by our customers and suppliers. And, and that has brought us through. And that's testament to you, isn't it? And having that top-down approach to um, how you treat your, your your customers, your suppliers, and your staff, and and everybody. Um, and if you've been able to get through that with still that loyalty of support, then it's it's testament to to the leadership that you've brought to brought to the group, isn't it? So, um, 
I'm just interested to know, I mean, obviously I'm in a family, family run business and we've been in our business now for nearly 17 years. Um, is, are you the only active member of your family now within the group of companies or is there the more of you? So um, within the trading element, which is the Archwood group, uh, I am I, I am the uh, only executive or uh, you know day to day person. My my father who turns eighty this year, wow. uh, still uh, I've been emailing him this morning. Actually, uh, he's still looking at the sales numbers, but he doesn't come in actively uh, every day. He 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 will um, he he will come in every every couple of weeks. So that's that, that he's he's active on on the other side. We have a different side of the business which my father created basically to make it fair across um, succession planning. Yeah. Uh, my brother and sister are involved in a property and investment business that we have that has um, it has loose connections with, yeah. with Archwood because it owns the buildings, but uh, the majority of what it does has nothing to do with what Archwood is, is about, really. It's interesting that you um, mentioned succession planning because... Um, I don't think it's actually done enough that generationally now um, we don't discuss it enough and what's going to happen next. We kind of take it for granted that we're just here and that's it. We don't think of what's going to happen next. And I've been in a position myself with um, a family, a previous family business, my mum's that she wanted. She, it was always in her head that she wanted me to take over that family business. And it it just didn't fit with what I wanted to do. How did you how did you get into the business? Was it always something that you wanted to do? Was it something that your your father instilled in you from a very young age, or was it just that it, you ended up landing into into the role sixteen years ago, and it's developed from there? What has been that journey for you? Uh, so my first interactions with the business uh, were when I was um, five and six, and my father used to come and do uh, stock takes on a Saturday. Or come and come and uh, sign off the accounts, and he would bring me in, and I'd come and play with uh, the calculators and, and yeah. make uh, make funny words with eights and zeros. I'll let you guess what they are for a five year old. Um, I I then uh, did some holiday jobs here to earn a little bit extra money. So I would come and I would work the night shift in the warehouse picking flooring. Um, which I have, I take my hat off to people who do a night shift. It's, 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 it really does mess with your um, body. And I don't, I, I don't like it. We don't do it anymore, actually, because there's no requirement for us to do that. But it's a, it's a tough, it's a really tough environment. Um, from university, I, I went and studied physiology at university because I thought I was going to become a doctor. Um, okay. Complete I'm, opposite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't forced upon me in terms of uh, coming into the family business. Um, I I, uh, I then went uh, post uh, Edinburgh when I where I studied uh, physiology. I decided to join a company called Accenture, which are management consultants, a large American management consultancy firm, which do process re-engineering and IT implementation. And I worked there for four years. Um, and, and at that time, basically four years into that, I'd, 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 I'd been promoted there. And I thought, actually, do you know what? Do I really want to work for some nameless, faceless American who will pocket <laughs> a lot of the hard work? And it was, you know, it was long hours. It was, it was eight till 10 sometimes, and you were working away. 
um, in Germany and places like that, which was, it was an incredible experience, but it wasn't really, uh, it didn't feel like all the effort that I was putting in was necessarily going to come back to me. Yeah. And I had a chat with with my dad and, and said, actually, is there an opportunity for me to join the business? Uh, I'd like to give it a go, um, see what it's like. Um, and he said, yeah, come and, come and talk to the sales and marketing director, Martin Weibrow at the time. Uh, and I did. I think Martin was slightly shocked by my approach. I said, "Yeah, we'll get everyone really revved up, and they'll, you know, <laughs> they'll be working really hard, and we'll change the culture of the business." Um, and I, you know, I arrived, and the first few weeks, I was slightly shocked by the fact that everyone left at five o'clock, and they arrived at nine o'clock in the morning, and it was a slightly more relaxed atmosphere. Now, I don't think that's necessarily a family business thing. I yeah. think that's probably. Um, I, I was working in London before and, and, and moved up to Oswestry. So I just think p- the pace of life is just different and what people people um, work to live, not live to work in, in Oswestry. And I think that, you know, there was a case of, they, well, people were committed to the cause. I'm not sure there was an enormous amount of hard work going on at the time. Yeah. Um, and I found that a bit of a shock and I thought, oh, I'll change the culture and we'll get everyone really, you know, going. Um, and uh, I obviously, you know, my ideas were obviously the best at the time. And I was this sort of slightly brash, arrogant 25 year old and thought all the customers will, you know, take price increases at the time that we want them and everything. And then I realized, well, we're quite a small fish in a rather large pond. And um <laughs> I suppose I got my my knuckles wrapped a few times during the during the early years, um, but it's it's been an an incredible learning process from my perspective, um, and um, to be in the seat, I'm really honoured and proud of where we are today from yeah. a business perspective. But um, it's been it's 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 been a roller coaster, I would say. Okay. Uh, and I, to, to go back to the question you asked about succession planning specifically, Sarah, it's a real challenge. Um, and it's because I think uh, it, 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 the, in the UK, in Britain, I think we, we sometimes, we don't like talking about money. We don't like yep. putting it out in people's faces. And, and, um, and I think there's always a fairness balance across generations. And it doesn't matter whether you've got one pound or a million a million pounds or a hundred million pounds or whatever. I think it is really important for you to sit down if you do own a business or you have any assets whatever, to, to, to discuss with individuals well before uh, any, um, you know, either you become ill or, or you pass away, mm-hmm. what your wishes are and how it could work for the next generation. And I've got to be honest, my father is incredibly good at that. So and has done that. I I joined um, board board meetings for the business for the shareholders when I was twenty one, and I didn't really wow. know what I was doing. Um, so I'm now forty four this year. So I've sat in meetings, and I can remember the first few, and I was like, I don't have a clue what they're talking about, and it's it's all sort of washed over me, and I was like, I don't, you know, and and what what he's done over a period of time is fed information in to enable us to get very um, comfortable with his plans for when he's not around. And that's actually, it's really important because I don't want to, we're we're a very close family and we have become even closer due to some of the challenges we've had from a business perspective. 
and I and and my father um, has created the environment for us to. Uh, I, I hope you know you can never say never, but I hope that there will, won't be any conflict around what happens when him or my mum pass away. And I think that's really important. Yeah, and I, and I think that's probably potentially one of the issues that I've seen that generationally the generation after us and forgive me i think we're probably early 40s between us so our our parents and their parents parents um were a little bit more private they didn't really like speaking about money or what was going to happen when things did happen so the generation so our generation and the generations coming through um just don't know what to do when things change and I don't, you know, open communication is so, so important. And it's one of the things that we um, are really trying hard to do with our children. I've got um, an 11 year old and a six year old. The 11 year old at the moment is just getting to a point where we need to start being a little bit more open and communicative about certain things that are going on in the family, because I think it will lend him, it lend himself well in the future. Now, one of the things that I've noticed about the generation, which I'll get to is that there's a, a, a proactive and a reactive way of dealing with things. And we're very much in a society where we react to something rather than proactively deal with it before it's happened. It's the same thing with, um, you know, there's, there's certain people, for example, if you were going to, if you wanted to go to the gym and you want, you know, a lot of people will start going to the gym when they've put on a bit of weight and they're not feeling that healthy which blows my mind because, and actually I'm probably one of those people, but when you think about it, it would be so much better if you were proactive about it before it happened and actually just dealt with it before the eventuality came that you actually put on weight or became unfit and you were just dealing with it consistently. You wouldn't be in that situation in the first place. Yeah. So it's really important, I think, to proactively deal with things like that. So it's really good to hear how well that's boarded for you guys at Archwood Group. Um, and I think it'll set you up in good stead, especially if you've got two children as well, haven't you? I have two children, a, a six and an eight-year-old. Yeah. I, I would say the intergenerational stuff has been very good and has given me a, a good um, sort of process to follow going forwards. I would say from a business perspective, bring it back to business, mm. I think some challenges that we faced from a business perspective we haven't necessarily been proactive and we've okay. been reactive to. And I would say, so just go, going back to the business mm. side of things, I would say, yes, we probably, we, we did okay in the, in the succession planning. We don't know until it happens, but yeah. actually from a business point of view, we've probably been a bit slow to respond to certain market forces mm-hmm. and to customer feedback that actually potentially has, has been to the detriment of the performance of the business. And that, yeah. and that's, I suppose, something that, um, you know, we've, we've struggled with from a business perspective. Okay. So two very different hats there, isn't there? Then the business side and the, and the family side and trying yeah. to interlink it and make it all work in unison with each other. Yeah. So, I mean, on, on that then, what do you think? I mean, I'm just going to, because this is the Woodfloor podcast, I'm going to stick with um, Atkinson and Kirby in, in particular to dig yep. into this a little bit more, but yep. in the flooring industry. So what do you think at the moment is the biggest challenge in the flooring industry right now? So as a, as a wood flooring supplier, mm-hmm. I would say one of the biggest challenges that we have is, a, is the substitution of wood flooring for alternative materials that are of lower, lower value 
in terms of I, I think LVT or SPC or whatever new new yeah. newfangled uh, uh, design they come out with that those are those are some of the biggest threats to the wood flooring sector if I'm honest I think one of the things that's not played out very well by people suppliers specifically like ourselves and large, significantly larger suppliers is the environmental credentials of wood flooring itself and engineered flooring which actually could put it in a um, in a much better light environmentally and sustainability wise than LVT or SPC because of the um, actually the sustainable nature of the, the the way that the forests are grown and uh, managed across the world and actually it's important for us to keep on using that kind of product um that that's my my view of mm -hmm. where, where we're at the moment in terms of uh uh you know the biggest challenge for the, the the wood flooring section i also think there is a um there's going to be a general shift away from far eastern sourcing due yeah. to uh just just actually logistically why are we moving product from europe to process in the Far East to then actually consume in Europe again. That, that to me, that's, a, that's not a circle. We're not going around the globe. We're actually, we're actually transporting stuff from Europe to be processed over there and then come back. So I do think that, that there's going to be some changes around that. And I do think with the increases in the, uh, the average wage in, in the Far East, I think that there will become an economic reason why people will start what's described as near sourcing uh, more yeah. so. But obviously, with what's been going on in Ukraine recently, that that will be um, slowed down due to obviously it's it's just it's more challenging and it's very very sad what's going on. Um, uh, but a, a large proportion of oak is processed in Ukraine for the uh, manufacturing of wood flooring. So I think there will be significant impacts on, on the way, uh, on the supply chain of, of, of flooring in, in, in that market. Yeah, and I think the carbon footprint of doing exactly what you said about sourcing in um, bringing products in from the, the Far East is is going to be more beneficial in the long term you've got um is you've got an environmental action group is that is that right is that something that's new tell me a bit more about that and and your thoughts on environmental sustainability so we set up an environmental action group uh 12 months ago so before it became before cop 26 was big on the on on the radar uh, and everything was you know in the press um, and, and what we, we we did this on the back of um, wanting to reduce our carbon footprint. Yeah. Uh, and and these uh, this is a group of individuals who are basically they 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 have a day job as well. So we've got, um, for example, our, our marketing comms person in there, our uh, our um, quality manager sits, sit, actually heads it up, and then a number of our supply chain people as well. And what we've done is created this group that meet on a monthly basis to discuss um, actions that we can take to reduce our environmental impact and things that we have done, low, low level things that mm -hmm. we've done that are visible are 
within the office we never had any recycling for example so paper would just go into general waste and so would cans and food waste and everything yeah. and what we've done is we've now got segregated waste so we are recycling on site we've moved from uh plastic milk bottles to glass ones so they are uh, constantly recycled every every day uh, bigger things that we have done are that we have we have signed up an agreement with Unicarriers recently to move all of our forklift trucks to electric forklift trucks to get rid of diesel or gas um, uh, powered trucks. And uh, we have moved we moved in October last year to to a fully renewable electric tariff for the whole of the site. Uh, in addition to that, in fact, today, some point today, I'm going to be signing off a contract uh, with a uh, solar panel provider to put solar panels on the roof of our factory to generate between 45 and 50% of our energy, which wow. not only reduces the amount that we're pulling from the grid, but also buffers us from a business perspective against the costs of increasing energy which everyone is feeling at the moment and and what we want to do is try and be as efficient as possible from a business perspective and energy is obviously one of those uh, input costs that we need to, to manage yeah and in terms of product as well then so in terms of sourcing of product because i know there was uh, historically from way back when i've you know, I've um, used Atkinson and Kirby products for many, many years. And a lot of those products were manufactured um, in China and brought across. How are you and what are your plans in terms of environmental sustainability um, in your existing product lines? What steps are you taking with that um, to bring on more um, environmental aware products? So um, the we have signed up to something called the Race to Net Zero by 2050 as the mm -hmm. UN race to net zero. And, and uh, we, that will be, uh, by 2050, we've committed we will have zero carbon emissions. And by 2030, we'll have halved our carbon emissions. That, that if I break that down, there are, um, there are three scopes of, mm -hmm. of how you manage your carbon emissions. Scope one is, your impact on the environment, your direct impact of what you do in your manufacturing site. Yep. Scope two is the energy you pull from the grid and the impact that has on the environment. And then scope three is your supplier's impact and also downstream as how you uh, distribute the product to yep. your customers. Okay. So scope one and scope two, we aim to have a view of our emissions by the end of this month. In fact, it might be the end of this week. Yep. So we will know where we are at and, and we can then from that create an action plan to say, right, what are the biggest areas of emissions and us try and drive that down and reduce that. Scope three is a little bit harder because we need obviously a large amount of information from our suppliers as to where their energy comes from, where their material comes from. We, we do that already. Yes. We have to do that as part of EUTR. 
which is the European timber regulations, which actually is now changed to UKTR because we've left Europe. <laughs> UKTR, yep. Yeah. Um, so we, we have all of that information. Um, and by September, we will have a view of our upstream, our supply chain, our suppliers' impact on the environment, and our carriers and our basic dis- delivery impact to our customers as well. Uh, and, and what we plan on doing is sitting down with each of our suppliers, rather than changing the source yep. of <coughs> excuse me, where our product is coming from, we will work with our suppliers to say, how can you reduce your carbon footprint? So, yep. for example... Our moulding supplier, I know this is a wood flooring pop-up. That's fine. I've got to be, if I give you a nugget of information how we're working with other suppliers, our, our, our moulding supplier has outside their manufacturing facility a field full of solar panels to generate their electricity. Yeah. And I haven't spoken to them in the last couple of months, but I would have thought they're probably buying a few more since the price of electricity has gone up so that they can run their whole plant from 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 renewable electricity so that's how we are working i'm i'm not going to explicitly state that we will change our sourcing of product from the far east or from um further afield because i know that some of our shippers for example are using renewable fuel to power their boats and some of our suppliers are also going to you know, renewable forms of energy or um, uh, more environmentally sustainable materials so that it would be wrong for me to be to, to sort of move supply lines from long established suppliers who we have very good partnerships with just for the sake of, you know, uh, actually the environmental credentials are, are, might not be any better yep. than than us sourcing from, you know, the UK or, or Europe, for example. Does that make Absolutely. sense? It does. It completely makes sense. And I think having more awareness of these these things and um, being able to speak about this and, and let people know that this is how how things work and, and getting into the nitty gritty almost of why companies make the decisions that they make is really important. And I would actually like to see more suppliers and manufacturers of timber products having that you know in in food they do like a a red light amber light green light thing Mm -hmm. is this is this such a a governing body that looks at all like manufacturers and suppliers and says this is where you are on the scale of um your carbon footprint or is that is that just up to individual companies at the moment to to make those um assessments themselves I think that's a very interesting point, Sarah. Um, We went out because we felt um, there are lots of people doing what's described as greenwashing out there, which is basically just turning around and saying, oh, we're we're carbon positive. We've, you know, we're absorbing lots because we're chopping down trees or whatever. And there was there's no facts behind what they are saying. So we felt it was wrong for us to mark our own homework in want of a better phrase. So we went out to a company called Planet Mark and asked them to evaluate our scope one, scope two and scope three. Yes. Now, um, you say, are there you ask, are there anyone? Is there anyone in the industry doing this kind of stuff? Well, um, if you look at a well-known supplier of wood flooring who has a very big brand um, uh, in the specification sector, okay. 
um, you will notice that there are they have created a, um, a a way of claiming certain products are slightly more environmentally sustainable than others. Okay. Um, if you dig underneath it, you'll notice it's all their own labeling, their yes. own. They've just created this sort of um, this 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 way of marking their own homework for want of, for want of a better phrase mm-hmm. and um we don't believe that's the right thing to do we believe there should be an industry standard or a body Agreed. that says actually do you know what these guys are good these are working with them and, and, and I, I don't really mind uh, how it's done yeah but that's why we went out to plan so we've paid for this company to independently audit what we are doing so that it is more aligned with some of our larger suppliers in the Richard Burbage area, because they are FTSE 100 businesses, which means they have to report on their carbon emissions. Actually, if you look at some of the um, customers that we deal with, ultimately deal with in the construction sector, they are also large businesses and they will have to report on the impact of their suppliers as well and certain materials coming in so we believe actually if we just take all of the brands through the same um, audit process to assess what the impact is from a carbon emissions perspective i think we'll hopefully stand ourselves in good stead yeah i agree and i think i think it's really vitally important especially as we're going through it's at the forefront of everybody's minds now isn't it about sustainability and, and everything else and um i had a client through one of my other businesses ring last week and was very very keen on making sure that um all the products that were supplied out to her were voc free mm-hmm. so even the voc we're getting asked this question a lot more now um so i find it really interesting that as an industry where we supply um you know, engineered products where we've got use of adhesives and, you know, we've got lamellas and we've got ply and we've got everything else that I find it really interesting that there isn't anybody that is universally kind of um, making sure that we're all doing as we should be doing responsibly. Yeah. I, 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 but I, I think it will come. I think we, we went out to market to find somebody who'd specifically did auditing from a timber processing perspective. Yeah. And we couldn't find so Planet Mark aren't aren't, aren't really timber manufacturing specialists or, or, or audit specialists. So, but we're working with them to hopefully create this so that they can work with other businesses, mm-hmm. and we'll see what happens. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of that, then, if you had a crystal ball, what do you think is going to be the next big thing in wood flooring? Um. Ooh. That's a, that's a that's a big that's, that's a, a big question. Big crystal ball. What do you where do you think the trends are going? Do you think I, I think there's a... there's got to be uh, we've got to find an alternative material than oak. I, I yeah. think the logic is that we've got to find something. And I know that some companies have done um, uh, products called Beyond Oak, and uh, which is uh, which is a good product actually. Um, probably a little bit before its time. I think there is we've we've got to find a material that is probably faster growing uh than 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 european or american oak to to uh manufacture the um the sort of the wear layer of of the material of uh, engineered flooring that would be that would be my big you know big thing that people need to work work towards and uh and, and find mm-hmm. from a from a from a um, an industry perspective yeah it's interesting 
it's interesting how um yeah times have times have changed and even over the last 15 years of how things have been produced and manufactured and the change in those over the years and yeah, it'd be interesting to see I'd, I'd love to have a crystal ball and just see what's going to be coming out next and you know we see more and more products with thinner veneers um seeing you know hdf cores and multi-leg all sorts of different things going on so it's really interesting um, yeah. to see all of that so right we're going to go away from product now and i want to know a little bit about your team that you've got um through archwood group how do you um how have you grown your team because reverting back to what you said right at the beginning about changing culture um i had um, various conversations with people recently about this lack of commitment from employees and having that mentality of um, working nine to five and having different cultures and different aspirations from a leadership approach to um that bottom approach how have you grown your team um over the years and how do you feel you can get the best out of them so my team are quite new. They're, they are, most of them are 18 months in the role. Um, I'm the uh, second oldest by a year. So <laughs> we're all quite young. Um, uh, how do you get the best out of your team? You, 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 you put your trust in them, your faith in them, if they've, if they've earned it, obviously. Yeah. Um, you give them enough rope to, to go off and do things independently and um, you you spend a lot of time with them, just developing your relationship so that you can um, help build the plan. So we released our strategic plan in October last year for the next three to five years. Mm-hmm. Five years is too far away for me, I, you know, but it's a vision. So the three years is I feel like we are able to, to, to go towards and, and actually deliver against. Um, but this was a this was a this was a plan that was pulled together by my team. So they are. Um, I, I didn't say this is what we are doing, and we're going off in this direction. We had an away day, well, a half a day. We went into a hotel, just up the road. It wasn't very yeah. far. It was not very flash, but it. We we sat in a room and thought about where we are today, what made us good, what what got us through the difficult times, and what what can we build on to. Um, revitalize the brands in the marketplace for us to build a brighter future for the Archwood Group and uh, the constituent brands, Richard Berber, Jackins, Kirby and, and Mason's Timber. Mm-hmm. Um, and we sat and we, we debated this and we then went away, put some numbers against it and have pulled together a, uh, a pack that we take our key, our, our customers through. It's been cited in the TTJ, actually the article that went mm-hmm. out yesterday. Um, about where we are going as a business. So how to get a team together, you need to get, have a common purpose. You need to have, you, you need to be pulling together. On one thing, we um, we, we had a, a challenge when my father st- stepped back in 2012 and um, our, uh, he, he promoted someone within the business and that was a bit of a challenge for a 10 year period. It, was, it wasn't great, if I'm honest. Okay um where he ran the business in, in silos and uh, our, our company's not big enough to run in silos we're not sort of ford or we've, we'd, i'd love to be that size well actually would i not really um it, but it, it, it's it's it, it pulled itself apart yeah so the individuals didn't work to the common goal and they have 
key objectives against improving our values and, and improving the way we do business uh, across responsibility, uh, reputation, um, stability in terms of our, our financials, transformation and, and evolution. So th those are critical things that we measure on a, on a monthly basis and they have their own objectives driving to improve that as well. So I suppose it's alignment and, and, and really constantly going in, in uh, sort of it tenaciously going in the same direction all the time, just chipping away at stuff and driving. And I'm, and I'm guessing with that, um, core values are kind of at the heart of everything that you do when you are recruiting or you are um, firing. Do you do that on the basis of making sure that everybody within the business does align with the values of the business and the, and the vision of the business, how you've presented that? Or is it not go as far as that? Yeah, I, I suppose we, we are very upfront about what our values are. Um, and when recruiting, I'm much more of a fan of promoting from within when it's yeah. going up to a certain level rather than recruiting somebody very big within within the industry. Because it's a it's a challenge to for them to to come into the culture of the business sometimes when when they're not you know when when people are, come from big business it's sometimes a bit of a challenge because it's a diff, it's a different mentality the yeah. culture it's not you know look at me i'm absolutely wonderful i'm up on a pedestal that's not how we work it's this is a team game and we 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 succeed or fail together so um, it's very important that everyone's aligned to that. And some people from big organisations can't really get their head around that. Yeah. And that's what we've witnessed culturally is a, is a challenge. Yeah, no, I get that. And in 2019, you consolidated all of your sites up to Chirk. And I, I'm guessing that came with some huge challenges. Um, what was the main reason for consolidating everything to one site? And with the challenges that that presented, how did you overcome them? Um, in all honesty, we were, <laughs> we were, we were hemorrhaging money okay. because our cost base was too high for the revenue we were, from, that we were generating from yep. sales. So our, our footprint from a business perspective was much too big. So we couldn't flex our, 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 the number of people down when we had sort of fixed costs of paying rent of X. Right. Hundred thousand pounds for for large sites that we couldn't really fill, if I'm honest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the, the the biggest challenges associated with that were actually we had been a business that had been running multi-site for maybe ten years, um, and culturally there were big silos of I'm in the distribution part and this is what <laughs> I do, and 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 then and then you have people in the sales part, you know, and then people in the production part, and bringing them together. Actually, it was great because everyone, you know, we, we stopped people emailing each other and picking up the phone or, or sending each other texts when they wanted to do stuff. Yeah. And they actually, they, they, they went and they met each other face to face and they asked people to do things in a nice way. And it stopped all the email. It hasn't stopped it completely, but the, but the majority email is the bane of my life. Yeah, right? <laughs> agreed. It, it, is a, it is a horrific form of communication that can mm -hmm. be read in so many different ways yes so and and actually there's nothing there's nothing better than people when they're contracting internally 
and saying, you know what, we need to pull together and we need to go go at this. And this is a, this is an issue. Let's see if we can get it. Meeting face to face and 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 moving things forward is a much better. You know, if they meet and, and they, they 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 get they take clear action and move stuff forward. That's where actually the the, the pandemic has been an interesting one because we're still struggling a little bit with getting some people back to the office, and um, I don't think you can learn. Uh, how a business works without being in an office and interacting with people. It's it, that's the training element and the sparking off each other in terms of ideas of how to solve certain problems is lost when you're in your back room or your your spare bedroom. You know, and you're in your pajamas. <laughs> yeah, you do. Well, no. I, listen, everyone works very hard. I've got no problem, and I've got no complaints about anybody mm. who goes and works from home because they are. I can see because we can see. It's not, you know, and it's not big brother stuff. I can just see whether people are on there, you know, interacting yeah. with the customer. The, the, the issue comes with it with, with just, you know, in marketing, for example, you need to be here to talk to people about how you take a product to market and to back, bounce ideas off each other, which I, I, I you know, I, I can't see works from a, a, you know, a permanent basis. Maybe, maybe a couple of days a week, you can go and do your, do your work. Yeah. At home, but I think it's it's more important to be in. So so that culturally bringing those three sites together was the biggest challenge we faced mm-hmm. um, from a business perspective. And, and it was a difficult time. So 2009, we were still we had five really bad years from a business perspective. And it got mm-hmm. it's, Sarah, it got to a stage where we didn't know whether we would continue. Yeah. We were, we were close to saying, you know, and the the I've got to be the bank sent in some people who you know they were they were restructuring advisors mm-hmm. you know, that's a big title and, and very scary and we all got slightly nervous about it and and it was it was it was it was it was not wasn't great but we've yeah. come back from it and actually being on one site has meant that we are there is a real team spirit you know when we when it was in the teeth of the pandemic we had we went down to 33 people and um, in certain stages, I was unloading the containers. I was answering the phones. Yep. You know, actually, that that team spirit that that created over that period, whilst it was incredibly hard work and very stressful and slightly concerning of whether we would whether we would we would survive, actually has really benefited some key individuals in the business in terms yep. of working closely together. Yeah. And and ultimately, therefore, what do you think has been the number one thing that has managed you? You you personally have managed to get through that period of time. What one key thing? One key, one key thing is this personal resilience, or is the because I've been there, I've done that, I've got the t-shirt. It didn't end as well for me. Um, although I now look back of the last few years as a blessing that I have been through that. Um, is there one thing that you could, if there was somebody else listening to this, thinking? my business is a bit in the shit at the minute. Is the one thing that you could advise somebody to do that would help them get through that period of time? Yeah. Talk, talk, talk to people. Don't bottle it up. Talk, talk to people and um, talk to people who are trusted advisors of yours, who you can share and, 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 and come up with an idea and a plan of how to map your way through it and go you start going day by day, you then go week by week when things get better, then you go month by month, mm-hmm. then you go quarter by quarter. So your 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 frame of reference gets very, very small when you are really in, you know, 
when you're sitting there thinking, are we going to be able to pay the wages? You know, mm-hmm. that, that's when it's really bad because that's the last one you ever want to be talking about in terms of payments. Mm-hmm. Okay, the tax man you can have a chat with about it. <laughs> but, but, but I'm afraid if you, yeah. if you don't pay your employees, you are you are knackered because they just walk. Yeah. Understandably so. So I, I would say you've got to got to make sure you don't shut shut down. That's really important have a plan of how you're going to get back and make sure you stress test that with probably your biggest detractor. You're the person who's the who's the least positive. So you don't want to look at it through rose tinted glasses. You want somebody who's who's one of the most negative individuals. So that <laughs> if you can convince yeah. them, then you, you, you know, the plan's probably a pretty good one, right? Yeah. And just make sure you go day by day then week by week, then month by month. But and 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 there will be bumps in the road. There mm-hmm. always there are bumps in the road now for us as a business. I'm still having few few bumps here and there. Mm-hmm. But they they in comparison to where we were in 2019, they are they're a lot there we can manage our way around them from a business perspective. Whereas in 2019, if some of the bumps in the road came I don't know what we'd have done, but but talk, don't, don't bottle it up. That's the worst thing. Cause actually, if you're not talking to someone, you're not actually reflecting on the ideas and you're not, you're not actually thinking about whether they are, 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 um, you know, useful or implementable. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. It completely makes sense. I agree with you completely. What what are your thoughts on self-development, Josh? Do you, do anything with self-development is I think we're all at that age now where we're starting to <laughs> to consider self-development in one form or another um what are your thoughts on that so um I you can't see me but I've got quite very gray hair so I, I you know <laughs> even at 44 no. I've obviously been through a bit but um I when I joined the business I said that I would do an MBA because actually uh, I think it's critical to understand a little bit more about how business works because I'd come from a um, a biological background so I knew about body systems I had knew nothing about how to you know how to manage uh, production or uh, any of the any of those things finance or, or law um, so I did an MBA I, I totally believe in self um, development i i have a, a business coach who i speak to every quarter who has nothing to do with the industry absolutely mm-hmm. uh, I, I do he's completely disconnected from the industry but he's a sounding board for me to make sure i know my way through some of the tr- tricky challenges i have um I'm very fortunate. The business is of a size where we have a non-exec board as well. Mm-hmm. And of that, we've got obviously Tony Miles, who used to be the XMD here, who's the vice chairman, who is great. He's a sort of mentor of mine and mm-hmm. a real, um, he's very, very good. And, and it's quite challenging of me to say, why are you not doing this and this? I've got my father and then I've got a couple of other non-execs, my sister and uh, a guy called Marcus Moyer, who's completely independent. And that's really useful for me to be able to um, be held accountable for the plans that I've pulled together and then yeah. say, how are you getting on versus those? But also um, they, 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 they enable me to, to move forward as an individual as well. So that, yeah. that's, I think it's fundamental. You can't, if you sit still, people will overtake you. Yeah, agreed completely. So what um, what do you enjoy doing outside of work? Have you got any hobbies or is there anything particularly you love doing? 
I, I love spending time with my kids, my family. Yeah. Um, uh, and I, I, I'm fortunate that my kids' school is actually on the way to work. So I, do, I, can, I can spend a reasonable amount of time with them, if, uh, picking them up or dropping them off. Um, uh, I, I'm quite, I, I like playing tennis uh, mm-hmm. in terms of I try, try and play once a week. And if, if I can, my, my dad actually is very fortunate. He, he, he bought a boat a number of years ago. And I, I love going sailing with, uh, with my father, which is, is great. Where do you go? He, he, it's, uh, it's based out in Menorca in wow. uh, the Balearics, which is lovely. It's really, it's really great. Um, but he still talks about business when we're on the boat. So, you know, sometimes... You never get away. <laughs> yeah, you can never, you can never get away. It's in his blood. It's his first child, really, the businesses. Okay. And understandably so. No, I get. So we're going to be coming to the end of our time together now. So what I wanted to do is just quickly go through. We we have a thing on our podcast about it's a quick fire round. Um, one of the questions that I've never asked on this before, which is the first one I'm going to ask, is if you could invite anyone to a dinner party, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Oh, um, who would I invite to a dinner party, dead or alive? I quite like to, but do you know what? I'd, I'd, I'd like to invite Maggie Thatcher. And why? Because I just, she was a tour de force. And I just, <laughs> it would just be extraordinary to meet her socially, to work out, you know, what, how, that she was an extraordinary woman. That was the least expect. I was. Oh, that was the least person I was expecting you to say. <laughs> if anything, I was going to think, oh, is he going to say Elvis or someone like that? <laughs> I know. I wish. I, yeah. I'm, I'm, Elvis. You know, it's not really my. I. I. You know. Yeah. Yeah. No. I. I think. No. Maggie Thatcher gotcha. would be quite interesting. I think. I like that. So, um, for our listeners, what's next for Atkinson and Kirby? Uh, we are um, about to release uh, a number of products across the uh, herringbone and plank that are uh, herringbone and plank matched colours, basically, so that you can do room sets yeah. either with borders and also with you know one room will be herringbone, one would be uh, plank yeah. in the same colours, basically. To get, it's probably a, a simplification of the range but enabling people to choose different formats in the same colour. So that's that's the big thing that we're doing in uh, we've well, September time. Fabulous. So that's coming soon. Yeah. Sounds excellent. Okay, so a quick fire round. Let's, um, let's do this. McDonald's or Burger King? Burger King. <laughs> At a push. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not a fan of fast food. No, if anyone could have seen your face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. And it's not, but you just don't think it's very good for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, plank or herringbone? Oh, herringbone. Every day. Every day. Oh, Not even so a wide plank. So yeah, no, herringbone. No, I, my house isn't, you know, I just I can't. No, herringbone is really, I just love it. I've got some of our um our Halston smoked oak in our in, in, in one of the rooms, and it's just beautiful. It's absolutely it's a really stunning product. That's the 490, 490 block, isn't it? 11 mil. Yeah. Yeah. Really it's nice. Really, but you need a very good fitter. <laughs> yes, good fitters all the way. Um, tea or coffee? Coffee. Do you do you drink coffee after twelve? No. No. Well, I can't know because I, I I don't need it after twelve o'clock. <laughs> As you might have noticed, I'm drinking too much now. Um, your dream car? It's probably a Range Rover Sport. I'm a bit of a country man. 
Okay. What have you got at the minute, if you don't mind me asking? I've got a Volvo. <laughs> very very yeah i've got it's a very sensible very safe car so that i can take my kids to school well that's that's a good reason isn't it yeah um, coke or pepsi coke is that draft or is that um can oh no can and it would probably be diet is that all right i've just you know, as you can tell I'm a it's bit, not a trick question no i'm a bit of i'm a bit of a health freak i'm not a health freak i'm just you know i'm you know sugar and sugar and fast food i'm trying so the next question i, I mean i might just throw another one in. sun sunbathing skiing or sailing oh ah, say uh, uh, oh oh do i is that is this like um yeah Push, marry, no, anyway. Um, uh, <laughs> um, uh, oh, ooh, sailing. It's got to be sailing. Yeah, yeah, it's got to be sailing. What is it about sailing that you love? Um, you're, you're, it's the element. It's sailing. So sailing is, is, is to me, you're at the mercy of the elements. You can't overpower the wind. Uh, yeah. uh, and, um, I've had some of my sort of most amazing moments um, with my my family, my father, my wife, my friends, um, uh, sailing, and they're just they're just so memorable and incredibly funny, and and it's a real, it's a it's again sailing's a team. I'm a very team oriented, so boring, but it is you know I I rode at school, I've sailed after 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 university. I, I just love the whole people have their own individual jobs that they can help each other out and i love the whole sailing team ethos yeah where it works for me good okay so thank you so much for coming on the podcast this morning it's been really um it's been really delightful talking to you and we've probably actually spoken a lot longer than what i anticipated to be honest so um thank you very much for your time today and i hope um everything goes to plan with the strategy for the next three and five years fingers, fingers crossed. crossed that you're still here um in a good few years and you continue um going from strength to strength so thank you very much um for for coming on the podcast brilliant thank you very much sarah thank you for inviting you're me very welcome you're very welcome If you'd like to find out more information about what we do, you can visit our website at cockerellandco.co.uk. That's cockerellandco.co.uk. We also have an Instagram account, which is cockerellandco, and also we are on Facebook. Once again, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, and we look forward to seeing you here again soon.